Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend presents us with one of the most famous and commented upon texts in the entire Bible. We're on very holy ground as we approach this text. I'm talking about Exodus 3.14. Can I encourage you sometime today or sometime this week, get out your Bibles and open up to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. What we find there is God's self-definition. It's God himself telling us his name. You see right away how important that is. We're seeking the face of God. We're seeking God. Well, who is he? Who is he? How do we find him? Well, God himself in this passage speaks his name. You see why, why Christians and Jews up and down the centuries have specially reverenced this passage. Well, the setting is familiar. Moses, in exile from his native Egypt because he had killed the Egyptian and they were after him, finds himself on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on which book of the Bible you're looking at, he's tending the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. We hear that the angel of the Lord, and, and in this context, it probably means the presence of the Lord, not like a separate being, but the presence of the Lord, suddenly appeared to him, how? In the form of a bush that was on fire, but not consumed. Now, I'm going to come back to that fantastic image a little bit later. Displaying his typical confidence, keep in mind that Moses was raised in the court of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Now, we get almost no details from the Bible, so you have to look at, I suppose, Charlton Heston's The Ten Commandments for that. But the implication is clear, that this is a pretty confident kid, probably you know, a master of several languages, uh, used to being in charge, etc. So, displaying that confidence, he walks over to the bush saying, I must go over and see why the bush is not burned. Right away, we biblically-minded people should be on our guard. <laughs> why? Because we know from reading the first part of the book of Genesis that trying to know and control God is essentially the original sin. So that's Adam and Eve eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That means what belongs uniquely and appropriately to God. When we seize that for ourselves, we try to know God in that sense, we fall. All of sin is a, is a, are permutations and combinations of that basic move. We shouldn't go running up to God saying, let me look at this. We allow God to come to us on his own terms. Well, seeing Moses coming up, God upbraids him, and we should pay attention to this. Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Look at the sandals first. Um, you got sandals on, you've got shoes on. You can walk pretty confidently anywhere, 
over rocky ground, you know, up a mountainside. You got good shoes on. You can pretty much go where you want to go. Take your shoes off, you're barefoot. Boy, your your ability to move around is really restricted. Well, that's appropriate, isn't it? In the presence of God, we take off our shoes. We take off our protective and our aggressive um, accoutrement, and we become helpless, appropriately so, in God's presence, willing to be told what to do. Well, then God, speaking from the burning bush, identifies himself as the same divine power who had addressed long ago Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses' distant ancestors. He further tells Moses that he's heard the cry of his people in Egypt and that he wants Moses to lead the liberation effort. Well, Moses balks for all kinds of reasons. Who am I? I who have a speech impediment. I who am, you know, unqualified. He balks, and, and then he asks for the name of this divinity who's speaking to him. Because he says, you know, if I go to Egypt and I say, well, this voice told me to liberate you, well, who will I say you are? And then comes Exodus 3.14. God gives the stunning reply. I am who am. Now, I want to pause right here at this very sacred moment and engage in a little philosophical theology. For this passage has indeed inspired the greatest minds of our tradition, Origen, Augustine, Anselm, Thomas Aquinas, Bonaventure, many others. The greatest thinkers in our tradition have paused right here with enormous interest. See, Moses is asking, in the context of his time, a very reasonable question. He's asking, well, which one are you? There were lots and lots of gods in the ancient world. You know, and often people would, would at least acknowledge the gods of other people. They'd say, well, we have our gods, but I know you've got yours, and I acknowledge that. There were, you know, gods of the mountain, the god of the sea, the god of a particular people or tribe. And he knows that, that uh, this is the god who addressed his ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so he must have a name. He, he's got to be one of these divine figures. But see, it's most important that the God of the burning bush evades the question. See, in many ways, who are you? What's your name? I am who I am. Well, it doesn't really tell you very much. Well, right. That's in itself important. Because God is not someone, the true God now, the God speaking to Moses, is not someone who can be caught or defined or categorized. The moment you name something or someone, you put that person or thing on a kind of grid, right? Think of like a Cartesian coordinate system. And, okay, now where, where do you belong? Who are you? What point are you? What equation corresponds to your position on the grid? You see, those are all rational questions. We compare, we contrast to other objects, other persons, we set things off, define them, delineate them. So what's your name? Well, I'm, I'm Bishop Robert Barron. Well, I mean, right away, you've got me really seriously caught. I don't mean that negatively. I just mean, all right, Bishop Robert Barron, uh, you're not just one person among many. You're this uh, guy with these two names that I can look up, I can Google. 
I know you're not just any Robert Barron, you're Bishop Robert Barron. Oh, yeah, he must be the one who's now an auxiliary bishop of Los Angeles. He's out in Santa Barbara. Uh, he used to be the rector of Mundelein Seminary. He was born in Chicago, et cetera, et cetera. Once you know my name, man, you know a lot about me. In fact, you can call me. If you were within earshot, you would call my name, and I'd, I'd turn around. I'd respond to you. Knowing a name is knowing a lot. But you can't do this with God. This is the point here. How come? How come? Because the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one responsible for the entire universe, if I can put it more abstractly, the reason there is something rather than nothing, listen, is not an item within the universe. It's extremely important now. The one responsible for the whole of, of created reality is not himself a thing in the world. Does that make sense? See, any such item, from your dog to the furthest galaxy, you could, in principle, name. But the creator of the entire nexus of finite things cannot be named, cannot be categorized cannot be put on a Cartesian coordinate system, can't be put on a grid. And this is why, as I've often said, Thomas Aquinas does not call God the ens sumum. That means the highest being. So think of, you know, I'm a being, you're a being, this computer in front of me is a being, uh, the furthest galaxy is a being, the highest, highest of the seraphim is a being, right? So who's the ens sumum, the highest being? I, I'm guessing one of the seraphim, I guess. But see, God is not like any of those things. God, Aquinas says, can't be defined. He can't be put in any category or genus, even the highest genus, which is that of being. I mean, wouldn't you at least say God is a being? And the answer, interestingly to me, is no. Aquinas furthermore says God is not an individual. You see why. If you're an individual, then you're alongside of other individuals. You can be uh, contrasted, compared to, etc. All right, all right. You're thinking, okay, this is a lot of philosophy. Uh, how does all of it matter? We'll go back now to the burning bush. The bush is on fire, but not consumed, not destroyed. God is present to it in the most powerful way. But nothing of the bush has to give in order for God to work through it and be present to it. Compare this now to the arrival of the gods in the myths of the Greeks or Romans. In those stories, when the gods burst into human affairs, what happens? People are incinerated. People are destroyed. Because, see, something in the world has to give for this more powerful worldly being to appear. When the gods in these stories want what they want, we have to give something up. See, we have to satisfy them by sacrificing something that we have. See, and this is why those gods are nothing but powerful items within the world. 
But when the true God comes close, burning bush now, burning bush, things are not destroyed. In fact, they become radiant and more beautiful. St. Irenaeus' line, the glory of God as a human being fully alive comes to play here. The God who is not a being in the world, not one item among many, can work with us in such a way that we are enhanced and rendered more beautiful. Just a last thought now. Go back to Moses' cooperation with God in the liberation of Israel. Why, we might wonder, doesn't God just take care of things himself? You know, he could. Why not just show his power, obliterate Pharaoh's army, and get it over with? But the true God, who is not a competitor with human affairs, delights in drawing us into his work that we might taste the joy of it. Does that make sense to you? I think this is the hinge of so much of the Bible. Of course God could do it on his own. Of course God could have obliterated Pharaoh's army. He just did it. No, no, he he wants to draw us into his work. And he can do so because he's not competitive with us. So finally, consider your relationship with this God of the burning bush. Do you think of God as a competitor, as a kind of rival? The more glory he gets, the less you get. Or are you willing to become yourself a kind of burning bush in his service? And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.